the social contract a commander podcast i'm mike almond and joining me is my co-host alex lap alex what's up man well mike we got a new set coming out yeah and we're gonna talk about it yeah um so call time um i'll tell you what we we don't have this written in here but can you tell me a little bit of the the lore of call time i mean there's there's gods where where, i mean thor is in this set essentially like why would you ask me that Mike, that's, you completely put me on the spot. I have nothing prepared at all to talk about Kaldheim lore in any way. I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. I, I, I was actually not sure. Because I'm like, wait, where the hell are we? How does this work? I know Kaya. Kaya's here. Yeah, Kaya's here. Vorinclex is here. Why is Vorinclex here? I don't know why Vorinclex is here, dude. Well, I simply do not know. Man, so if this is somebody's first episode, we are doing a really good job showing them how good we this are. This is at not magic. a magic lore <laughs> podcast. If you want that, you go Magic Arcanum, something like that. Exactly. This is where we're going to talk more about the political cards, the group hug cards, the ones that fall into our wheelhouse. And there are some interesting cards going on in this set. I am not sure how I feel about all the cards, but some of them, all right, all right, I'm definitely going to find a spot for these. Yeah, Mike. Uh... This isn't going to be a normal set review, although if you've listened to our previous set review, this may seem a bit familiar. We're not going to be talking about all of the the fun new stuff that's interesting to everyone, like every other podcast is doing. We're just going to talk about the stuff that Mike said is in our wheelhouse, the political cards, the group hug cards, the stacks cards, the mean cards. We're not talking about all the new commanders or any of that, so if you want to hear that, uh, I think you can find somewhere to listen to that. Let's go ahead and start. If you found us, you definitely can find all of that. Oh, absolutely. Um, Try the command zone. So let's start off strong with a card that everybody absolutely hates. Um, oh, they hate this. Except you. And I'm pretty excited about that. Let's start with Divine Gambit. This is two white for a sorcery. Exile, target, artifact, creature, or enchantment, and opponent controls. That player may put a permanent card from their hand onto the battlefield. Strictly awful version of path to exile swords to plowshares everything along those lines why are you in on this card well mike you're absolutely right this card is completely garbage at (laughs) removing things from the board if you want to exile something from the board you could do a lot better than divine gambit however if you're trying to give somebody else free stuff and also maybe remove something that might need to be removed who knows then you could do a lot worse than two mana. Here's the problem. It's sorcery speed. The sorcery speed kills me. Yeah, it's it's sorcery speed. That's the big one. It's sorcery speed. It can't hit anything. Only artifacts, creatures, or enchantments. Mm-hmm. Not land, not planeswalker. Yeah, I mean, it does let your opponent bring something out, but I think even for our taste, it's a little bit too rich for our blood, isn't it? Yeah. Because we have very limited control over what they put out and there's also very limited upside for us the caster of divine gambit it's it's really a wild card this is pretty close to uh like chaos warp and braids combined and right it's just in its weird I, way 
I don't think you're going to be seeing this card in very many decks. And in fact, I'm probably not even going to be running it because it's a sorcery. It just doesn't have enough upside. No. They just they just shot themselves in the foot because again, if this was an instant. Oh yeah, I'd run this in a heartbeat. But people would still people would still hate it, but people like me and you would go, "Oh yeah. Well, you're interesting." <laughs> See, everybody hates this card, Mike, but for different reasons. Yes. We hate it because it's a sorcery and there's not enough upside on it. Right. Everyone else hates it because it's a removal spell that lets your opponent show and tell for free. Right. Which is, as far as removal spells go, really bad. Mm-hmm. And as far as group hug goes, that's a lot of power, but you can't really control it and you can't do it very fast. We've said our piece about this card. I wouldn't expect to see it in basically any decks. It's no. just, it's a missed opportunity. Let's go ahead and move on. Yeah, let's move on to a much better card here, uh, Doomscar. Now, this is three generic and white, white for a sorcery that says destroy all creatures. Okay, that's not a terrible board wipe, but it also has foretell. And this is going to be a mechanic we talk about several times this episode. For one generic and two white, during your turn, you may pay two generic and exile this card from your hand face down. Cast it on a later turn for its foretell cost. Okay, so I can pay three generic and two white now. Or I can pay three generic and two white over time to cast a board wipe when I need it at sorcery speed. I like this card, Alex. Yeah, Mike, this is an interesting board wipe. This this falls under the the kind of more chilling effect that a Nev's disc or something of that nature might have. Um, and it's important to note that you do exile this card face down. But you are, of course, allowed to tell people about it, and if you so choose, uh, show them. Now, this card isn't exactly blowing my socks off, Mm -hmm. because its main use, from where I'm sitting, is an extremely early board wipe, turn three board wipe. In many circumstances, a turn three board wipe, destroy all creatures... If you're in a bit of a faster meta, maybe an aggro meta, devastating. Okay. I mean, think about you're playing this against a, a deck running mana dorks. Sure. And they get out like two of them, and then they ramp into a bigger guy. They just got reset completely. Like, they're back to back to ground zero. Here's the problem. If you want to cast it right away, it's five mana. Mm-hmm. If you aren't using the foretell effect, or if you aren't using it well, this spell is terrible. Because for three white-white, you can do a lot better than destroy all creatures, period, no upside. Sure. We can talk about Wrath of God. Two white-white, destroy all creatures that can't be regenerated, which is less mana with upside. And it came out in alpha. So the crux of this card is the foretell. If you are not planning to run this card as a rattlesnake, like we're talking about with Nev's Disc, chilling effects, that kind of stuff, where you, you know, kind of control the board by telling people you're going to wipe it. Mm -hmm. Or... You played extremely aggressively in board wipe turn three. If you're not doing one of those two things, do not run this board wipe because there are a lot of other board wipes you could run. What do you think, Mike? So here's my question. And I I was going to touch on this later with you, but as part of the foretell mechanic, it says exile it from your hand face down. Yes. So with it saying face down, does that mean I can turn it up and show it to people? Like I can reveal that information without any kind of issue or does it have to stay face down? To my knowledge, you are able to show any information from a hidden zone, 
that's uh, or or a private zone, a zone that you are allowed to look at, but other people aren't. So we're not talking about your library, right? Where you're not allowed to look at it. Okay. But you're allowed to show your hand. You're allowed to uh, to show your graveyard. You're allowed to show things that are face down if you want to. You also don't have to. You can just say, "I'm foretelling Doomscar. This is a board wipe." Sure. Even if you're not foretelling it. Yeah. So if that's the case, I I love foretell. I love foretell because I am very rarely going to put myself in a position where I want to hide this card. Because what do we say is the most powerful counterspell? The one that everybody else knows that you have. It's the rattlesnake. It's it's the rattlesnake. Exactly. Yeah. The I get what you're saying as far as there are much more efficient five mana board wipes. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you are using it as a rattlesnake, it is effective. It's just when you're not using it like that and you're not board wiping turn three then you shouldn't be using it. This is a very... It looks like a generalized board wipe. This is actually a very specific board wipe. Absolutely. I get where you're coming from. I I am really excited with this for this card simply just to put... To apply pressure more than anything else mm-hmm. to where it's, hey, I've got a button. That's it. Mike, we could, we could fill an entire episode with rattlesnakes and just talk and talk and talk. We should. We're going to have to do that in the future. Rattlesnake is such an important element of control. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next card and our first commander, Redain, God of the Worthy. Yeah. For two and a white, legendary creature, God. She is flying, vigilance, and snowlands your opponent's control, enter the battlefield tapped. Mm-hmm. She also has non-creature spells your opponent's cast with converted mana cost four or more, cost two more to cast. So if it costs... Four, it's costing at least six. I think the the most reasonable thing you could compare this to is like Gaddic Teague. Yeah. Which is a very classic Sass Commander. However, that's not it. Because this is a modal double-faced card commander. And it has something on the back. We go on the flippy flip here. Valkmira Protector Shield. For three and a white. Legendary artifact. If a source an opponent controls would deal damage to you or a permanent you control, prevent one of that damage. And it also has, whenever you or a permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter that spell or ability unless its controller pays one. So we have four different stacks options. Yeah. Two on each side. There's a lot of different things you can do with this stacks piece. And you just get to pick which one is the most reasonable. Now, most of them individually... They're not exactly stacking my socks off over here. No. But the the fact that you had the option to choose between two groups of two is, it's a little more toolboxy. Um, I would not see myself running this in my stacks deck or any of my stacks decks, but this is the single snow hate card that we were promised. Yeah. Snow lands your opponent's <laughs> control, ETB tapped. Mike, over the coming weeks and months, as, as people start to incorporate Kaldheim cards into their decks... You're going to see a lot more snow than we're used to. We had a lot of people right. start to incorporate snow lands in Modern Horizons, mm-hmm. but the support in Modern Horizons was very limited compared to this set. One of the set's main themes is snow. We got snow tap lands, we got snow spells, we got snow rituals, we got all sorts of snow stuff. A lot of people are just going to switch out all their basics to snow basics for good reason. This locks them all down. I I don't know. I like maybe it's maybe it's the stacks hatred in me. I just like you said, it doesn't it doesn't wow me in any right. like real strong capacity. If 
I, I could see this being really, really good in like a draft setting. Yeah, this is a limited bomb, I would say. If you draft this. Yeah. yeah. For 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 our sake, I mean I, I like I like the artifact side of it more in the command zone to just uh-huh. okay, I'm gonna pillow for it, I'm gonna make it if you're targeting me, if you're hurting me, it's just gonna be a little bit more difficult all the time. But for four mana, it's just I don't know. I, I it's it's interesting though. I, I kind of like the direction. I just wish that they either took it a little bit farther or they did something a little bit more creative with it. And I'm saying that about a card that is literally an artifact commander on one side versus the yeah, other. Isn't that just the uh, just the story of white is I wish they had made it stronger and I wish it was more interesting. Yeah. And yeah. now I'm sad enough that we're going to move off white entirely. You, you tried, buddy. You tried. You didn't do very well, but you tried. Um, let's move on to blue with Icebreaker Kraken. Um, and I, you said this earlier. Can you even call it a set of magic if there's not a 10 blue blue mana cost card in it at this point? Uh, this is an 8-8 snow creature Kraken. This spell costs one generic less to cast for each snow land you control. Well, that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, when Icebreaker Kraken enters the battlefield, artifacts and creatures target opponent controls don't untap during that player's next untap step. It has the ability return three snow lands you control to their owner's hand, returned Icebreaker Kraken to its owner's hand. Decent amount of stuff going on in this card, Alex. Absolutely, Mike. This harkens back to the old days of blue. Um, not the not the part of the old days where blue is allowed to like have burn spells and ramp spells and things like that. Do everything in some way, shape, and form. But but the old days of blue where they had like really really beefy fatties at the high end, and I don't know if you remember this, but they were all terrible <laughs> because wizards had no idea how to balance creatures on the top end. Um, so you would get cards like Leviathan. And other just enormous blue creature spells that were super expensive. Big, and then yeah, they had like big downsides. seven downsides on them. Absolutely. It, you had to like pay mana to keep them untapped and on the field. It was terrible. If you attack, sacrifice several lands, etc., etc., etc. No, it was, they were awful. So this is like that, but mm-hmm. if it were printed today, which it was. Um, so we got three effects. Number one is it can cost all the way down to blue, blue. If you have 10 snow lands, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have the the protection bounce effect, where you can bounce three snow lands to your hand, and then bounce this creature, and then presumably, depending on how many lands you have right. ramped out, play it again for two mana. It's pretty nasty. Then the main piece, and the reason why we're talking about it today, when Icebreaker Kraken ETBs, artifacts and creatures target opponent controls don't untap during that player's next untap step. So we know how brutal that is. When you lock down somebody's board now this this doesn't lock them out completely they get their lands yeah but they're not attacking and they're not getting any big plays in with their mana rocks it's gonna it's gonna host somebody pretty bad if you have infinite mana this is a fantastic one Mm -hmm. because you can just keep bouncing it and playing it again and then all of your opponents are locked out but yeah i mean it's it's an interesting card i'm not saying that i'm going to be running it but uh it's it's a stacks piece it's a political piece an enormous 10 blue blue 80 yeah. so we had to talk about it right uh, the thing is is i if you're building your deck right and this is in it this this is never going to be 10 blue blue right it, it's never never i like yeah i like etb creatures i like e- creatures that say hey if you're playing a blink deck or a bounce deck 
uh, this is going to be a lot of fun for you to do. Oh yeah, if you blink, if you this, blink this, and you have the ability to also just return it. it to your hand, tap the lands that you're. It's not even three untapped snow lands, so you can. It's yeah, it's three snow lands that you tap to play this card, and then if you're in right, Simic, it, well, maybe in, you in play my head, the the you know magical Christmas land is play, pay this for or play this for two blue, then. Tap three yeah. snow lands for three blue, uh, three blue mana. Bounce this back to your hand. Play it again for you know another four instead or something along those lines. Just all right. I'm yeah. gonna lock down these yeah. two players. And the idea of this being a finisher when you get to a one on one setting in the game, it's an interesting card. I like. It, it, plus, it's it's a kraken. It's an eight eight kraken. That's always fun. Yeah, I mean the uh, the thing in the ice pickle combo I, I forget exactly how it works but it, it primarily works hmm. by locking people out and uh, and sense. this is quite reminiscent of that i'm sure more competitive players know what i'm talking about i don't know what i'm talking about let's move on to a much more interesting yeah question, shall we? mystic reflection this might be my favorite card of the set i'm not sure yet but i'm a big fan why don't you read it out to us once again blue gets just the most shenanigans open-ended like Wherever your imagination takes you, you can do it. One in a blue for an instant. Choose target non-legendary creature. The next time one or more creatures or planeswalkers uh-huh. enter the battlefield this turn, they enter as copies of the chosen creature instead. Uh-huh. And it has foretell for blue. Oh, wow. Uh, so this is costed like a counterspell, and it acts like it too. It's the kind of card that replaces a counterspell because it can be even more devastating than a counterspell. You can use this... I mean, think about all the ways you can use this. You can... When you're making a bunch of tokens, you can make those all into the biggest thing on the board. Mm -hmm. If you are just putting a normal creature in, you can make that another copy of the scariest thing you have. If somebody is reanimating their graveyard well now everything that just came out of their graveyard is a copy of a token if somebody's just playing a planeswalker you can say in response that planeswalker is going to be this token creature it's not a planeswalker it's a creature now and the fact that you can foretell it which means you'll pay two generic and then on a later turn and since it's an instant you can cast it at instant speed for one blue mana mike what do you think shenanigans I love any time a card says this is a boon to you in a ridiculous sense or it is a blowout to to an enemy in a ridiculous sense. Yeah. And this card says, hey, do this for two or two and then one blue mana later. Like, this is... It's aggressively costed. This is one of the more insane cards I've seen as far as, like, it. it's powerful. Don't get me wrong. But the amount of variance and adaptability and just the amount of different things you can do. It's a very with it. blue card. Oh my gosh, it's so nuts. Like You know what this reminds me of is sudden substitution. Yeah. 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 I could see that. I, I I mean, there's there's the idea of, you know, I play an Avenger of Zendikar and I'm gonna make seven oh, plant tokens. Oh yeah. But instead Which are all Avengers of Zendikar. I'm gonna make and now you get yep. seven squared 49 plant tokens and just so stuff like that seems oh, yeah silly <laughs> right any creature that etvs and makes tokens this just wow 
right off the right off the. Track. It's just nuts. Yeah. And, you know, so here's the silly thing. You know what I really my first thought when this one wasn't Avenger of Sendikar, it was <laughs> me wanting to do this with Feldegriff. It's not legendary. I'm not talking about doing it to Feldegriff in particular. I'm talking about giving somebody a hippo. You give them a hippo and then <laughs> they reanimate their entire graveyard, which is now all hippos. It's all hippos. Right. <laughs> oh, just... crap. It's all hippos. <laughs> Oops, all hippos. What I a just. Great card. I, I, I actually think that Mystic Reflection, I'm going to start calling it Oops, all blank. Whatever it is, it's just Oops, all this. Yeah. Um, this is a nuts card. I love it. Fantastic. I, I also, I, I don't want to stop talking about it because we're going to move on to a card that just makes me sad. Uh, especially after we talked about Divine Gambit earlier. Um, yeah. Let's let's uh, move on to Raven form. <sighs> Two generic and a blue for a sorcery. Exile target artifact or creature. Its controller creates a 1-1 blue bird creature token with flying. And it has foretell for a blue. So you can pay two generic on your turn. Exile it. Put it down. And then you can foretell it for a blue later. So this is, I don't know, would you call it? Would you call it seventy percent Pongify Rabbit Hybrid? Yeah, that's that's what like, we're talking about. Is yeah. is this is blue spot removal, mm-hmm. Pongify Rapid Hybridization Reality Shift? This is just me. I don't think blue should get to do that. Nope. Because blue already has unconditional removal in the form of a counterspell, as long as you get it before they cast it or before mm-hmm. they get it on the field. And then in addition to that, it also has bounce effects, return to hand, which is not as good of removal as some other forms, but it's usually coming at a lower cost. Yeah, blue um, blue can now... Well, I mean, it can't now because it's been able to do it. It's already but, been able to do but this. But it, yeah. it can stop a spell from happening. It can bounce mm-hmm. a creature. It can destroy a creature. It can exile a creature. And here's the thing. Not to get on the uh, mono white needs help, white in general needs help, pulpit and everything like that. Oh, I'm here but, for it. Divine Gambit is too white, and it's an uncommon. Yeah. For something that is way, way worse. Then this is a common. Then this common. That's it's all you need common. to say. This is common in blue. Oh, no. The worst. Yeah, I mean. Oh, no. The, the fact that it's common <laughs> isn't the worst part. The worst part is that it's an exile spot removal. Yeah. Which really isn't something they need to be giving colors like blue. I'm trying to think in my head what kind of hand I'd have to have to not foretell this on turn two. Like, just having a one mana exile a creature or artifact sitting and being ready at it just... This is, like, this is one of those commons that I'm like, I'm going to have to figure out what is coming out of several decks to put this in. Because that's a really cool effect. This is powerful, and it's in here because, hey... Uh, it's another color pie breaking thing, which I guess it's not even breaking the color pie now. This is just what blue does. But holy cow, man. I can't believe that. That's what we have for blue for now. And and we'll get back to some of that um, because we're going to do the commander deck precon cards last. Yep. So for now, let's go ahead and move on to black. Yeah. So, oh boy. Okay, so let's talk about Tigrid, God of Fright. Uh, three generic, black, black. For a legendary creature god, 4-5, with menace. And says, whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent or discards a permanent card, you may put that card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. That is 
nuts and terrifying. Um, at the same time, for three generic and a black, because it is a modal double face card, uh, you can play Turgrid's Turgri wow. Lantern. This is three generic and a black legendary artifact. Tap it. Target player loses three life unless they sacrifice a non-lammed permanent or discard a card. And for three generic and a black, you can untap Turgrid's Lantern. Um, the, the artifact is pretty interesting. I like it a lot. But holy cow, this, this is a... I don't like this creature, Alex. I don't like it. What the heck is this? Yeah, I'm like, let's talk about each half separately because these are very different. Let's let's start with the legendary artifact then because I, I feel like I'm going to have a lot more to say on, on, on the god than I am yeah, the lantern. So again, the, the legendary artifact has tap Torments of Hellfire. Yeah. And then you can pay four mana, three and a black to untap it, which you can then tap it again. So this is an infinite mana outlet. This is a win con for decks that can generate infinite black mana. Yep. And yeah, as soon as you have infinite black mana, every player is dead because they're going to run out of permanence to sacrifice. Yep. They're going to run out of cards to discard, and then they're going to have all of their life drained. Big payoff card right there. If you're not doing that, it's mostly like super annoying. Yeah, because it is a it is obnoxious. It is annoying. You're right. But at the same time, three life. Like, if it's really that bad, okay, it's three life, you know? Well, you put this in a deck that cares about opponents losing life. Right. And cares about opponents sacrificing creatures and discarding cards. There are a lot of black decks that like when players do those things. Mm -hmm. um, so this is just generic value there, and, and I think they might run it. And in those decks, voila, you have another win con as long as you can make infinite mana. Right. When it's not being used as, as a win con... Yeah, it's just tedious. I mean, it it gives the players the, you know, the bad choice. Sure. You either discard a card, sack a, sack a non-land permanent, or lose three life. I mean, it, You're going to lose three life until you can't afford to lose anymore. Sure. I mean, it, it, at the same time, I mean, yeah, great. For eight mana, I can do this effect three times in a turn. Okay. Well, yeah, don't. Don't think about that, it that way. Yeah, that's 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 not if, it. It's, if you're doing it more than once in a turn, you're going infinite. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. Um, let's talk about the front side. Uh, yeah. So I'll read that one more time. Menace, whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent or discards a permanent card, which is a card that would be a permanent when it resolves, uh, you may put that card onto the battlefield under your control. So, Mike, the one that this reminds me of is It That Betrays. Yeah. Which is an Eldrazi. And when you're comparing anything to an Eldrazi, you know there's trouble. It's an Eldrazi for 12 with Annihilator 2. And this same clause, except it doesn't have the discard part of the clause in it. Yeah. So from where I'm sitting, if you don't care about Annihilator, which now Annihilator is really good, but yeah. it's, not, <laughs> it's not 12 mana good. Right. You're getting a better version of a 12 CMC effect on a 5 CMC body. Sure. Which, wow. Like, this is the only time, other than It That Betrays, that we've ever seen this. And it's at a 7 mana discount. This is so aggressively powerful. And there's so many there's so many effects in black that make people sacrifice per, uh, sacrifice Edicts. And, and, they're, and discard things. And yeah. all of that sounds well and good. This is 
Oh, well, first of all, if anybody in your in your playgroup is playing wheels, no, they're not. Never again. Huh. Like that kind of th- this yeah. is this is one when of those. You discard things... your hand; they get everything in your hand that can be on the battlefield. This is so gross. Like yeah. it, this is. I don't know that it's necessarily a remove on site commander when you see it the first time, but uh, but this is a. Hear me out. How many times does this have to do something terrifying before you go, okay, this can never happen again? Here's the problem, Mike, because after this comes out, you know, the next spell is going to be all is dust. Right. Then they're the only one with a board and everything on their board is from your board. Yep. So you lose, but that's not the only effect they can use. They can use any edict effect. And in black, there are a lot of them. And edict effect is whenever... You sacrifice something, everyone else sacrifices something, mm-hmm. or you can simply force everyone to sacrifice something. Am I crazy to think that Turgrid, God of Fright, is just a black Eldrazi commander at this point? Like, that deck can work pretty well. But she's very scary. It's just, it's it's edicts and... <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're playing Annihilator Tribal, this is probably the best commander you could have. But most people are going to be playing this as, as edict travel. Sure. Aristocrats. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, this is a is... very nasty, nasty card. I don't I don't know that it's a bomb, but it is absolutely nasty. <laughs> it's, yeah, I wouldn't call it a, because you have to build the deck around it. Right. This has to be your deck's theme. But when it's your deck's theme, this is the best card in your deck. Yeah. Because now all that stuff you're making people sacrifice is now your stuff well i mean so alex we've talked about my vivictus deck before yeah we've talked we've talked about like the fact that i have a marin deck that i don't bring out because it makes me feel like a bad person and just sitting here going oh i I probably need to put this in one of those (laughs) if i get one Mm. oh turgrid woe is me let's uh let's go ahead and move on why don't you talk to me about our next legendary creature here yeah, you got it, Mike. So next we have Varagoth, Blood Sky Sire. Just two and a black for a legendary creature, Demon Rogue, for two, three, with Death Touch. And mm-hmm. a new ability, Boast. For one and a black, activated ability, target player searches their library for a card, then shuffles their library and puts that card on top of it. Activate this ability only if this creature attacked this turn and only once each turn. So... Basically, everybody who's not us looks at this card and sees, oh, it's a commander that, provided I can protect it during combat, will just keep tutoring out cards for me at a really, really aggressive rate. And the Death Uh, Touch does help with that, too. It does, because people don't want to block this. And the scarier you make it, the less they'll want to block it. So yeah, most people are going to be just tutoring for themselves what is the what's the good one vampire tutor yeah although this puts it on top of your on top of your library for me this is just such a lovely political piece because you can attack somebody with this it's only two damage Mm -hmm. and then pay two mana say hey you see all that stuff going on over there get your answer for it and it only cost you two you know you know what i think vargoth uh varagoth needs to uh needs to get what's that 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 boy needs himself an assault suit i thought you were going to say that boy needs himself an opposition agent no why would i ever say that how dare you well probably because if you have opposition agent (laughs) out when you have varagoth out it's two mana 
you search target player's library for any card and uh, you exile it. You don't put yeah, it on top. You don't put it on top. You, you exile it. And then you can it, play you can it from it. exile. Yeah, that's... Yeah. That, yeah, no, I, I know that exists, but I don't acknowledge it. I thought it was worth bringing up just to remind everyone about how ridiculously how broken Opposition Edge is. <laughs> yeah. this, this is. This has been your friendly reminder. Opposition Edge still messed up. Let's move on. Let's let's go ahead to Red here with... I, I'm i so happy. Uh, let's talk more color pie. What's that? Uh, Tivalt's Trickery. One generic and a red for an instant... Counter target spell, a very common red effect. Then choose one, two, or three at random. Its controller mills that many cards, then exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card with a different name than that spell. They may cast that card without paying its mana cost, then put the exiled cards on the bottom of their library in a random order. It's it's counter warp. Yeah, it's counter warp. This is this and is it's, cool. It's costed like counter warp too. It is! <laughs> um, usually red can counterspell, but only very specific kinds of spells. They can right. counter blue spells. That's what they're allowed to counter. But this says counter target spell, period. Right. An unconditional counterspell. Mike, white doesn't even get unconditional counterspells. Why does red get an unconditional counterspell? There's, um, hold, hold on. There's there's one white counterspell I can, is it Lapse of Certainty that it's says? Lapse of Certainty is the only unconditional one. Okay, so there's one and it just has put that back on top. So it's not even, yeah. it, it's it's a duo. They still get to have it. Right. <laughs> and it costs three mana and it's the only white counterspell that is uh... unconditional. So let's talk about this effect. So it's going to mill between one and three cards off the top of that spell's controller's library Mm -hmm. and then they're going to basically cascade until they hit a spell a non-land card yep um, that isn't the one you just countered the first thing that a lot of people thought was i'm going to use this on myself and do like a hermit druid kind of combo and just win the game because the only other spell in my deck is you know blightsteel colossus sure something like that (laughs) and eldrazi um and that it's definitely a valid way to play it. I guess. The fact of the matter is that <laughs> if you're countering someone's spell, I mean, we uh, we had we had Dana on recently, and, and he offhandedly mentioned that uh, Arcane Denial wasn't a group hug counterspell. And on that point, I think I'll disagree, because obviously a counterspell can't really be group hug, but as far as the spirit of group hug in a counterspell. Sure. Arcane Denial, Swan Song, Tybalt's Trickery. Okay. These are all things that I would say are political counterspells. I, I'm just sitting here thinking about doing this to the player that literally just did the Varagoth trigger and put something on top of their library. And then it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to mill something. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, if you if you see somebody tutor something on the top of their library, you can yeah, it's, screw them. It's, it's interesting. Surgery. Right. It's interesting in that effect. I... I don't love chaos without uh, without some kind of intent. This is a really cool card. Oh, yeah. It's not nearly as narrow or have the negatives of what I would consider all of the other red counter spells to have. Yeah, any any red deck that's running Chaos Warp, you could probably run this one, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's... And every red deck can run Chaos Warp. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right, here you go. You, you heard it from Alex. Every deck can yeah. get a Tabalt's Trickery without this, any kind of issue. If you're in a red deck that cares about control at all, it's probably worth a slot. 
Let's get off of red. Let's get let's yeah. leave uh, Tibald alone and uh, go to Sculptor of Winter. This is one generic and a green for a snow creature, Elf Rogue. It's a two-two, and it has the ability tap, untap target Snowland. Pretty straightforward. Pretty nice. Why why are we talking about this, Alex? Well, I'll tell you why we're not talking about it, and that's the fact that her ears are braided. That's so weird. Um, yeah, she has, like, some braided filigree elf ears. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life, and I can't look away from it. And, that, and the fact that the braid goes into, like, the her cheeks and then, like, her forehead and everything. Like, it's a full-fledged full-fledged thing, but it's also kind of unsettling at the well, same time. Well, I happen to know offhand, Mike, um, don't ask me why, that braiding skin is not possible. You can do it, but the skin will necrose and die. Um, so we're not really going to talk about that. But we will talk about her ability, Untap Target Snowland. Now, Arbor Elf, very similar creature for a green, Untap Target Land, or Untap Target Forest. Of course, it's Ramp. It's also my favorite, which is Mana Donation. You're going to start seeing, as I said earlier, a lot more players running Snowlands incidentally. Because unless you're running Redain, which nobody is, Snow is nothing but Upside. <laughs> There's no reason not to do it, other than the expense. So this is... It's a common, so it's not exactly aggressively costed for one and a green. But you know what? It's worth mentioning because you can use this to donate one mana, and I just think that's fantastic. So you covered it pretty well. I, I don't have anything to add. Are you really wanting to... like? Do you think that I'm just supposed to skip the whole... You talking about you can't braid somebody's skin thing? You can't braid somebody's skin, Mike. You understand you can't have a layer of skin. I understand the premise the of what you're saying. And then I'm more concerned that, with the certainty and the You can't do it. Alright, we're gonna take a quick break and then come back and talk about the multicolor cards in this set. Be right back. Hey, it's present Mike filling in for past Mike. Our audio has gotten so much better. Thanks for sticking around with us. So we're gonna talk about some cards that are really underplayed. We each think that we're bringing some really interesting cards to the table, and if you want to grab them or any other cards, you can help us out in the process. We have partnered with TCGPlayer.com, so if you're looking for any singles, sealed product, deck boxes, sleeves, playmats, really anything to spice up your game experience, go to bit.ly slash EDH social, or click on the link in our show notes. You don't pay anything extra, and you'll really help us out by buying all the things you are going to anyway. That's bit.ly slash EDH social, or click the link in our show notes. Back to the show. Carter, Doom Scourge. This is too generic for a black red demon berserker. Carter braids his skin. Oh god. Uh for a demon berserker 4-3, when Carter Doom Scourger enters the battlefield until your next turn, creatures your opponents control attack each combat if able and attack a player other than you if able. Whenever a, an attacking creature dies, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. This is pretty neat. So this is a when it comes onto the battlefield, goad all creatures <laughs> and when they die Oh, wow, this is kind of a neat effect. I, I misread this the first time, Alex. Yeah, Mike, for an uncommon, this has a surprising amount of value, uh, political value as well. And it's interesting that they didn't use goad, probably because goad's not an evergreen keyword. Yeah. But it is goad. We've talked about this in, in a previous episode. 
But if you need a refresher, Goat has uh, two clauses. The first one is the creature must attack each combat if able, and it must attack a creature, uh, a player, excuse me, besides you if able. So if it can't attack anyone, but it can attack you, then that's allowed. Right. Um, not too much else to say about that. You can listen to the other episode if you want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. We talked about Master Warcraft in the Commander Legends review. Yes, we but, did. Mike, this is just a lot of just very nice value. Black and red in Rakdos, I think, would really appreciate this sort of thing. I think that it's not a phenomenal amount of value. Like, it's, no. it doesn't have what it ETBs or attacks. If right. it had that, then we really might, you know, be cooking with something Oh, here, then but this is this is a either much more expensive card or it's a holy cow this thing is this thing has got some spice to um so if you have a way to like just consistently sack and reanimate it Mm -hmm. um you're keeping everyone else's creatures completely tapped down and then you can just go in with with aggro no problem and then you're getting a lot of life gain triggers and and triggering a lot of life loss triggers Mm -hmm. if your deck cares about that this is a phenomenal way to do it um it's just a lot of value for an uncommon commander this is one of the best uncommon commanders i've ever seen wow okay see i'm i'm sitting here thinking that i i don't know that i'm, I'm ever playing this this deck as the commander itself because the the amount of recursion that i'd have to get out of it yeah, just, you need a full package right but i mean i've wanted to make a Thantis the warweaver deck and well, this will go in there this loves going in there oh yeah <laughs> hello hello goat effects but not goat effects but they're that's the other side is this is great for a budget deck because uncommon cards are pennies yep so i mean heck look at no problem look at the budget card divine gambit it's only 25 cents right and moving on um i'm i'm still bitter mike that would be 25 cents if it were a mythic let's be honest yeah i know let's move on to a mythic that is definitely not 25 cents kaya the inexorable for three white black legendary planeswalker kaya of course Starting loyalty of five. Let's go ahead and, and work through her abilities here. Yeah. Her plus one says, put a ghost form counter on up to one target non-token creature. It gains when this creature dies or is put into exile, return it to its owner's hand and create a 1-1 one, one white spirit creature token with flying. We're going to loop back to that one because that's the one I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Next one, minus three, exile target non-land permanent. That's good value. That's, uh, Ugin has that ability, so you know it's good. Uh, minus seven. You get an emblem with, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may cast a legendary spell from your hand, from your graveyard, or from among cards you own in exile without paying its mana cost. You know what? That's pretty nice. Whoa. Um, (laughs) but of course it's an ultimate. Yeah. And typically when we're talking about Planeswalkers, we don't really want to talk about their ultimates unless we can get there real fast. Or it's so good that you instantly win the game. Right. And That's fair. So so right now I want to focus on her plus one, which is Kaya's Ghost Form um, is a card that just recently got printed uh, a year or two ago in War, I believe. I think so. And it had basically this exact effect minus the afterlife where uh, it was an instant that said whenever this uh, this target creature dies or is exiled returns to the battlefield um this instead returns it to hand mm-hmm. but what's really nice is the counter has given the creature this ability so even after kaya goes away if she indeed goes away loses all her loyalty is destroyed 
the creatures with ghost form counters on them will still have that effect. When this creature dies or is exiled, bounce it to hand, make a 1-1 one, one with flying. And its controller is the one making the 1-1 one, one with flying. So, Mike, I think this is just a very nice, let's make your creature immortal. We're going to just let you have it if it gets wiped. How about your commander? If somebody tries to exile your commander, we'll just let it go to your hand instead. You can do it to your own stuff. You can do it to your opponent's stuff. Um, it's not a phenomenal amount of value, but for a plus one, it's pretty damn good. It is. And and the thing is, is that if you told me that that was a minus one ability for most planeswalkers... I wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't be, because it's it's value. It's oh, a it, lot of value on a plus one. And so if the downside of this card is that it's... It's going to exile a, a permanent because you don't you just don't have another source to do so, but the planeswalker is still gonna stick around for a little bit. That's not bad. Yeah. You mentioned we don't talk about planeswalker ults unless, you know, there's a way to get to it really fast or that it's win the game kind of stuff. Yeah. You can get to this pretty fast. I mean You this... can, but let's let's do the counting, shall we? So you'll yeah. put it down as five mana, you'll plus one her, then she's at six. Correct. Next turn, turn six, plus one, or she's at seven. Mm-hmm. Next turn, turn seven, you minus seven, and she's gone. Right. So you're going from turn five to turn seven without her taking any damage. Now, it's definitely possible, especially in more casual metas, but I would find that in most metas, if you're being honest, and we talked about this in a previous episode, right. you need to make other people aware at the table when you're planeswalker is going to ult next turn right and that's not a rules thing you don't technically need to i'm telling you that you need to from a nice person standpoint from a having fun with the game standpoint people enjoy not sabotaging yourself you're preventing a feel bad situation so given that we're going to pretend that everyone has perfect information and knows that it's going to take you two full turns to to take care of her true it takes more time than you'd like to get to an ult if that's the goal, which I totally right. understand. In the meantime, when something is dying to protect Kaya from going away or taking damage, it's replacing itself with a 1-1 white spirit <laughs> with flying. That's so, true, it is. So, I mean, it, it's not it's not that I expect this to ult. It's that the amount of times that I expect it to ult versus other cards... Mm-hmm. I, I think this is going to be a little bit more consistent, and I like the idea of it not being absolutely game-breaking if you get that ult. It's scary, don't get me wrong, and anytime you can say, I want to cast something for free, but I I just, re- I like I like the ability of, I think I just like Kaya in general. The the fact that it's manipulating things through exile, and mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of this Planeswalker, because there's not a there's not an ability on here that I go, well, that's just dumb. You know? Yeah. No, Kaya's definitely uh, proved a formidable new Planeswalker mm-hmm. in the in the past few years here. I'm a big um, fan. Let's go ahead and move on to our next commander. Yeah. This is Coma. Coma. <laughs> Cosmos Serpent. Three generic, two green, two blue. For a legendary creature, Serpent, it is a 6-6 six, six that says this spell can't be countered. It's always a good start. At the beginning of each upkeep, create a 3-3 blue serpent creature token named Coma's Coil. The, the alliteration is going to destroy me on this card. Um, 
with the uh, an additional ability, sacrifice another serpent. Choose one. Either A, tap target permanent. It's, abil it's activated abilities. Can't be activated this turn. Or, coma, Cosmo Serpent gains indestructible until end of turn. There's a lot going on with this one, Alex. Absolutely, Mike. This is the amount of value that you expect from a Simic Commander, but it's not the type of value that you would usually expect. I think that when you think about a Simic Commander, when I think about a Simic Commander that costs mm -hmm. seven, seven mana, yeah, yeah, three double green, double blue, I'm thinking of cards that get you a ton of draw, a ton of ramp, or just so oppressive, like right. completely dominate the board when they hit the field. Now, this is strong, oh, very. but it goes in a bit of a different direction mm -hmm. because this is more of a token slash stacks commander. And I like that. So let's talk about uh, the, the first ability, right? So the spell can't be countered. We've seen this before on a commander. We saw it on uh, Niv-Mizzet Perun. Mm -hmm. This seems to be a clause that just makes you more comfortable with casting an extremely mana-intensive commander. It's, I mean, green is starting to get, can't get countered all day, every day. Yeah. We all saw uh, the Allosaurus Shepherd and Yeah. There's, green is getting, can't be countered all over the place. And the fact that it pairs with blue, which can't counter stuff, is so dangerous. But let's go on to the triggered ability. At the beginning of each upkeep, create each, a 3-3 three, three token. Each, each Alex! Upkeep. That's each player's upkeep. That's so many. So that's so many little snake in boys. In a pot of four, you get four each turn. Tender Shoot Dryad, anyone? Uh, I love Tender Shoot Dryad. That's one of my favorite cards. It's a good card. Um, yeah, this... Whenever I see at the beginning of each upkeep make a token, I am immediately happy because the value is right where I want it. Mm -hmm. Every single turn, you're making a token. And it's not just a 3-3 three, three token. Because you specifically have a sack outlet on the commander that allows you to do one of two things. Number two, you can make the commander indestructible, yep. which is just a nice thing to have. Um, this is a dangerous commander. It's going to draw spot removal. And when it does, or when it would, you have a rattlesnake say, hey, I have at least one token which means it's going to be indestructible. Right. And as we talk about rattlesnakes, the fact that you can do it means you often don't have to. And that'll just continue on. But let's talk about the, the first option. Tap target permanent. It's activated abilities can't be activated this turn. That includes lands. Yeah, I'm real excited to uh, get, a, get a serpent token at the beginning of another player's upkeep and immediately sack it to tap, tap somebody's guy's, guy's cradle. cradle yeah yeah holy cow um, this is i mean we there are a lot of token doublers in green and they just keep adding more mm -hmm. and blue has quite a few token uh generators and payoffs green and blue is just great at tokens you know that used to be white sling but now it's not anymore um yeah i mean can you imagine you're getting two three four per turn and then every turn you're able to basically completely lock somebody out of the two to four most important things that they have or you just let it run for a while build it up and then choose one player 
They get the snake. They get the fangs. <laughs> they get the fangs. And every single one of their permanents is locked down. So, you know when we we kind of poo-pooed a little bit on the salamander card because the salamander commander because how many salamanders are there really the salamander prince there there's so many there's there's a decent amount of serpents in blue like are you sure that you're seeing the correct number mike i i'm not saying a number i am just saying (laughs) that's true mike so it, it doesn't say sacrifice coma's coil it's a sacrifice another serpent so any serpent permanent yeah with that type you can sack it to this. So Serpent Tribal, there you go. Go for it, man. It's here yeah. now. Oh, man. Alex, this is... Is a serpent just a water snake? What is a serpent? Um, I don't know. You like know a, what? Like a snake sea monster? We're going to take a quick pause because I'm curious yeah. about this now. The flavor of this, and you can see it a little bit better if, if you're looking at the art, it's just an enormous leviathan of a snake with its coils going all the way off the art of the card, underneath the water, up into the air, and into the sky. It's a snake that's unfathomably long. And each upkeep, it's getting longer. It's getting an additional coil, right, on the snake. You ever played the game Snake on your old Nokia phone? Mm -hmm. Depending on how old you are. uh, It just keeps getting longer, and that's what the snake is doing. So... I, I've unfortunately gone down the Google rabbit hole to try and figure out what's the difference between a serpent oh, and a snake. Lord. And at, there's there's a couple of like Reddit answers and Yahoo uh-huh. answers, but most of the things that aren't affiliated with sites like that are talking about lots of religious connotations. So I'm just gonna backpedal extremely quickly into our our uh, next our next commander here. Why don't you talk oh, to me about yeah. Saruf? Yeah. So. This is probably the scariest card to get printed this set. Let's talk about... It's a good boy! Sorolf, Realm Eater. It's a wolf for one black-green. It's a 3-3 legendary creature. Whenever a permanent an opponent controls is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on Sorolf, Realm Eater. And then at the beginning of your upkeep... If Sorrow has one or more plus one plus one counters on it, you may remove all of them. If you do, exile each other non-land permanent with CMC less than or equal to the number of counters removed this way. All right, that was a lot of information. So let's summarize that. Uh-huh. Whenever anything goes to the graveyard from the battlefield, put a counter on, on the wolf. Yep. When your turn starts at the beginning of your upkeep, if that has happened at all since your last turn, if anything has gone to the graveyard from the battlefield, or if you just decided to put some 1-1 counters on it, you could do that. Green's great at it. Um, yeah, so then you get an optional trigger, which is why we're talking about it. If it was a mandatory effect, wouldn't be here today. No. If it has one or more counters on it, you can then choose to remove them all. If you do... Whatever that number is, you're going to exile every non-land permanent, except for Sorolf, with a CMC that's equal to that amount or less. So let's say you have five on there. You're going to exile all non-land permanents CMC 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and 0, except Sorolf. That is so devastating. I can't even begin. This is the definition of kill on side, Mike. 
Talk to me about Sir Rolf. So this is pretty interesting as a card overall. I'm I'm in the it's kill on site because holy cow, that's a walking board wipe all the time. That's nuts. Also, and on the lighter note, I think of it as a coercive uh, coercive portal <laughs> in that I'm going to take votes. I'm going to be like, hey. This is a lot meaner than coercive Oh, coercive it much. It, it definitely is. But but in my head, the way that I want this to work is, uh-huh. all right, how, how worried are we about the board right now? And taking that straw poll from everybody of, do we want to wipe the board? No? Yeah? Huh? That's huh? the thing. With a card like this, you really do have to control the narrative. Right. Because if you were to pull the table and they were to give their thoughts freely, the answer would probably be, well, I'm not too afraid of the board, but I'm really afraid <laughs> of that wolf that keeps exiling my whole board. That big doggo. <laughs> yeah. So this this is the kind of card where um, if you want to take that political angle with it, you really need to consider which angle you're taking. Are you taking the mean rude boy angle where you're just dominating the board and and exiling everything that you don't like or are you taking mike's coercive angle where at the beginning of each of your turns you're going to hold a vote and decide whether or not the whole board's going to get exiled or are you playing this more political angle where you're going to choose based on whatever whims you may have whether or not uh, you're going to exile everything maybe you'll make a deal who knows there are a lot of ways you can play this card because the board wipe is optional. Right. So help me out. How does how does the mean deck play this? Because the way that you're getting counters onto onto this creature is by permanence, your opponent's control going from the battlefield to the actual graveyard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can you can give it plus one counters in the green way that you normally would, but if you're removing stuff, if you're wiping, maybe not wiping the board, but if you're spot removing the board, if you're making people sacrifice things, you're already targeting stuff to remove things from the battlefield to turn this creature into a better board wipe down the road. So how does, how does I know we don't normally do this, but I'm curious, how does this get built? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very big question because you can really build it any way you want. If you wanted to build it in the rude boy way, um, it's it's as you said, you would have a primary focus on generating plus one, plus one counters and getting okay. them onto Sir Rolf. And at that point, you would basically just let Sir Rolf sit there with a full protection package, by the way. You need everything. Sure. You need... Kai's Ghost Worm's a good one. That's a really that? good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any any of the black effects that'll reanimate your commander, green effects that'll protect your commander, you're going to need like 15 or 20 of those effects. Just be real here, because... Every other player is going to try to remove it. Yeah. So you're going to have a full package of those. You're going to have a full package of getting plus one, plus one counters on it. And you're just going to load it up with counters. Maybe get like 10 of them on there and you just sit there. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you get to make the call. If you want to literally reset the game, every one of your turns. He's just, he's, he's such a good boy. I don't want him to be bad. It's... Saruf is an angry doggo. It's not his fault that he eats the realms. 
Is is he hungry? I mean, it, it it's in his name. I don't know what to tell you. That is a scary doggo. If somebody would give him something delicious to eat, maybe he wouldn't eat the entire battlefield. I mean, he's got the glowing red eyes, Mike. It's so dangerous. That's just so he can see. Look at his paws. Look at the paws. He's as tall as the trees. Look at the paws and their rainbow. In the blood of his victims. I I I don't know whose rainbowy blood you're talking about because I think that he just unicorns. Is. I just think he just looks beautiful. Let's move on to the Trickster God's Heist. This is an enchantment saga for two generic blue, black. First lore counter, you may exchange control of two target creatures. That's spicy. Second, you may exchange control of two target non-basic, non-creature permanents that share a card type. And third, target player loses three life and you gain three life. That's just, it's, I love this roller coaster that we were going up. Oh, look at this climb. We're going to exchange creatures. We love doing that. Oh, we're going to exchange non-basic, non-creature permanents that share a card type. Okay, cool. Target player loses three life. You gain three life. Really? That's how it's going to end? It's funny, Mike. I'm not actually bothered by that last one because sagas like Planeswalkers tend to have a weakness in Commander because so many opportunities happen as the turns pass I know. for removal. And that means that in the course of three turns, in a pot of four, there will be many opportunities to to remove this. And as such, the final ability, Chapter 3, being so lackluster, is not really that big of a concern. Because it seems to me that if people were scared enough to remove this, they would want to remove it earlier. Oh, yeah. And then as it gets later, it becomes less desirable to remove. And don't get me wrong, I get that. Like, I, I understand front-loading it. Yeah. But the interest and the drop-off yeah, from no, <laughs> chapters one and the, two. Chapter three is nothing. Even in a standard format, like, really? Is that... I don't know I don't know where this is good, except for in a... Oh, man. I, I, it's okay. It's okay. I like I like switching stuff up and the political uses in of this card. chairs deck. Oh, so fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting that it's a story spotlight considering there's no flavor text. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess you just kind of got to look at the the pretty scroll. It's a good saga as far as, as sagas are concerned. I, I, I like the idea of exchanging control of permanents. You I know too. me. I used to have a Zedru deck. Blim definitely caught my eye, the, the comedic genius. Um, exchanging control of permanents is just a very interesting way for a deck to go yep and this card enables it so let's go ahead and, and look at our artifact here. yeah let's let's move on to weathered runestone this is too generic for an artifact non-land permanent cards in graveyards and libraries can't enter the battlefield players can't cast spells from graveyards or libraries so this is just the uh other alternate name for this card is just nope the alternate name for this card is uh graph digger's cage plus plus yep right so we've seen players can't cast spells from graveyards or libraries. Yes. We've seen creatures in graveyards and libraries can't ETB. But now we're seeing non-land permanent cards in graveyards and libraries can't ETB. That means that anything you tutor onto the battlefield, that's a nope. Anything you reanimate from the graveyard, that's a nope. And you cannot cast any spell from a graveyard or from a library. So... Bye bye to your plan, Glacial Worm. Uh, <laughs> so sorry, Mike. I know you love that card. Sure, it's not happening. Uh, sorry, sorry, Moldrotha. <laughs> this, <laughs> Maybe next this game. This is just a. It's a good value stacks piece. It's worth talking about because 
advances in, in stacks technology, <laughs> especially in, in the artifact realm, are are interesting. What kinds of strategies does this allow us to hose now? What kind of mean rude boy wolf Aurora Borealis creatures can we stop? Now this won't stop the wolf. No. Maybe nothing can. Um it's a good boy. Yeah, that's a scary wolf. But yeah, this is just good value. It's two mana. Um this is it's it's an just uncommon. It's yeah. Like this is gonna be something that's it's gonna great. be fairly rampant and available if you're dealing with metas. And here's the thing. As as Commander grows and grows and the card depth grows and grows, it has become more common for the graveyard to be part of your library. For all, not just like some decks, but a lot of decks have some kind of recursion or some kind of way of grabbing stuff. Sure. From. So for two mana, being able to say your synergy just does not work until you fix this, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I would like to have seen something that prevents lands from coming back from the graveyard mm -hmm. and possibly lands entering from the library. But what we really need is a much more comprehensive answer to, to green ramp. And this is a much longer conversation. Yeah. We had confounding conundrum. I would consider that the first true ramp hate piece that we've ever received. Yeah. Um, and this is not the second one, but this is showing that, Again, Stacks technology is continuing to be innovated upon, and I'm excited to see what stuff we can lock down next, Mike. We here at Stacks Co. are constantly innovating and doing what we can to stop other people from having fun. Let's go ahead and move on to lands. Um, we got one for you. Tyrite Santum. Um, go ahead and read this one out for me, Alex. Yeah, you got it, Mike. So this is a utility land. Tap and add a colorless. It also has two activated abilities. The first one, pay two and tap it. Target legendary creature becomes a god in addition to its other types. Put a plus one, plus one counter on it. I mean, meh. Meh. How about the second ability? Pay four and tap it. Sacrifice it. Put an indestructible counter on target god. So an indestructible counter is a uh, ability keyword counter. Yep. Which means that when you put that counter onto target god, that god then becomes indestructible for as long as that counter is on it. Um, it gains that keyword. So we do have a few like edge cases here. Like, okay, if you're playing with these new gods from Kaldheim, yeah, you need these because none of the gods from this time around, and we do have a lot of older gods mm -hmm. from Theros and, and Amonkhet, but a good chunk of those are indestructible. But uh, but this one allows you to, to make the new gods indestructible. But more than that, it allows you to make any legendary creature indestructible if you're willing to spend the mana right. over two separate turns. And that's what I really wanted to talk about is, yes, if you are trying to make something indestructible, this is a very, very slow way to do it. However, there are decks where this utility land would not be out of place. Sure. If your commander is sacrosanct above... Everything else in your deck, your commander must stay on the battlefield or else your deck collapses. And I think we all know who's guilty of making those decks. It's me. Um, <laughs> this is an option that over two turns, and this is very difficult to stop unless they can spot remove right away, right. which if you're worried about them doing that, they were probably going to do it whether or not you had this land, right? You can make a legendary creature a god, put a counter on it, 
and then make that god indestructible. Now we've talked about we've talked about utility lands, and yeah. there's there's this big stigma that you don't want to run too many of them because it messes with your color fixing. I think that we just need to say our piece here, and I just want people to acknowledge that in lower color decks, in three color, two color, and especially monocolor decks and colorless decks. The number of utility lands that you're able to run before interfering with your fixing is actually quite a bit higher than what people might say. And I won't get into the raw numbers, but when you look at a utility land like this and say, oh my god, that's such an edge case, I would never play it. Think about some of your decks. Think about some of your commanders that are fragile, and think about how much less fragile that'd be if, under some circumstances, you could just make them indestructible on a land. Sure. And I mean, even, even with that, it doesn't say non-god legendary creature. Mm-hmm. So you can repeat this effect if you so chose just to give it plus one. That's fine. Yeah, you could keep pumping your, your you god can, you could do that. Uh, commander if you, if you have, any god. If you have cards that care about name a creature type whenever a creature blank or draw a card for each creature of that, things like that, well, okay, great. I want to have gods. This is just the gods deck. Well, uh, uh, Well, I've got a couple of creatures that aren't gods. Well, you know what? Now they can be. It's, I like, I like this as a utility land. It's, it's not, it's not blowing the doors off or anything like that. No, but, this is a slow point. But it's cool. I, I, I kind of like that. And the idea of literally going and going to this land and becoming a god is, is thematically pretty cool. So I'm a big fan of it. So we've gone through all of our card types and our colors, but we actually do have a few more cards to talk about. Yeah. Because... We're going to talk about some of the new precon cards. Uh, just like 2020 was the year of Commander, we got precons in pretty much every set. It looks like that's what's going to happen this year too. Yep. We got two new precons. We're not really going to go into them. We're not going to do the whole deck list. No. We're just going to talk about a couple of the cards from them that we found uh, interesting. Yeah. So let's go ahead and and start here. How about uh, Pact of the Serpent? Mike? Yeah, because that's actually what I was thinking about when I was mentioning that with uh, Tyrite Sanctum. So this is a one generic black-black sorcery. Choose a creature type. Target player draws X cards and loses X life, where X is the number of creatures they control of the chosen type. This is a pretty good tribal synergy. Uh, it's not... I mean, for three mana total to hopefully draw three cards for three life if if that's kind of like the low end spectrum of what you're looking for i'm i'm fine with that the fact that this can pop off and be huge and if you need to help somebody running a tribal deck to find an answer for somebody else who's the arch enemy this is a cool spell alex i like it a lot absolutely mike this is just an instant staple in your tribal deck mm-hmm. your black tribal deck just because you're able to to draw an arbitrary number of cards but it also has uh, it has other uses, political uses. If you see another tribal deck, or if you see a token deck, you are able to go ahead and donate some cards to them and, and get a life loss trigger. But uh, you can also use this to hose. If somebody makes an arbitrarily large number of tokens, yeah. for example, to win the game, um, you can blow them out yeah. without board wiping them. <laughs> I make infinite tokens. Okay, I would like you to draw infinite cards and lose infinite life. Womp womp. It's it's a very cool card. I like this one a lot. That's the thing about black is it's so interesting just how many black cards in particular have target player mm-hmm. instead of you. 
And I feel like for the most part, that's a conscious design decision used to see if you can't hose other players with the effects that you're using on yourself. (laughs) But the practical upshot of that is that there's a lot of black cards that are just incidentally extremely political. Would you agree with me that blue is the most adaptable of the colors? Like it, it, it works with so many different things. Well, what do you mean by what do you mean by adaptable? Well, just when we're talking about the fact that blue is now a I can bounce, exile, destroy, and counter. It does all the draw. It makes tokens. It does. It goes in so many different areas. So I think it's the most adaptable color. So you're saying it's the most versatile color? Yes. It does the most things. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I might agree with that. I think black is, like you said, I think it's the most political. I think it's the it it has Mm. the most amount of effects written on the card without necessarily having to synergize with a thousand other things. But just the cards themselves, it it is the color that is most likely to. We're going to talk about this as a team. We're going to talk about this collectively and then make a decision, which. I guess makes sense seeing as that black does a whole lot of sacrificing effects. It does a whole lot of do this benefit with this downside and being able to split it. I don't know. I, I, I like, I like cards like this, like pact of the servant that are strong in the right circumstances, but can be used in a variety of ways politically. What if you combine this card with Hole Preacher? No. Let, stop yeah. doing that, Alex. So then they would draw zero cards and lose. Moving on life, to one of our next cards. Treasure tokens. Uh, we're going to talk about Spectral Deluge. Uh, this is a blue sorcery for four generic and two blue. Return each creature your opponent's control with toughness X or less to its owner's hand, where X is the number of islands you control. Okay. So, that, I mean, that that kind of effect exists in some ways the thing that's cool about this is that it also has foretell for one generic and two blue alex this is nuts yeah the way that foretell enables different strategies is interesting but one of the most interesting ones that i've found so far and we talked about this earlier with the whiteboard wipe is wrath effects yeah the the idea that you can set up a wrath effect, which you can then actually cast at your leisure, and it has to be on one of your turns, it's a sorcery, but on a later turn for a steep discount for one blue blue on your on your next turn, or on any subsequent turn, maybe when you have some more islands, who knows, you can plan ahead. There's I mean it allows a discount, it allows you to do the rattlesnake effect. There are just, I mean, Fortell on a board wipe is a remarkable addition. And I think just like before, just like our last whiteboard wipe that we talked about at the beginning of the episode, Mm -hmm. if you are planning to hard cast this spell most of the time, don't run it. Right. This is the spell that you foretell. So six mana for a sorcery speed bounce creature to their owner's hand conditional it's not great it's not bad but it's not great i'm really going to be bummed out and we'll talk about this at the end of the episode we're going to talk about it on our next card even i'm really bummed out that foretell is probably going to be something that's only in this kind of set 
I like this right. mechanic a lot. I want this to stick around. And I just... It makes cards that I wouldn't find interesting. Interesting. Right. And that's... I, I Man, I... I will give Magic a whole lot... I will give Magic and I'll give Wizards a whole lot of crud about... You know, just give me some creative stuff. Just work with me. This is a really cool mechanic, and I'll save the rest of my thoughts for later. Let's talk about another foretell card, Alex. Absolutely, Mike. This is a very interesting card yeah. that I'm very excited to see. Tales of the Ancestors. Three and a blue for a sorcery. Each player with fewer cards in hand than the player with the most cards in hand draws cards equal to the difference with Fortel for one and a blue. So you, we we see this effect in um, in white a lot, mm-hmm. where we see the either effects. we're bringing down everybody down to our level or we're bringing everyone below our level up to our level. And that's definitely what we're seeing here. So everyone who doesn't have the most cards in hand is going to be drawing at least one card mm-hmm. and perhaps quite a few cards. Um, especially since as you use this card with Fortell, you can prepare for this effect by dumping your entire hand. Yeah. And then refilling your entire hand for two mana while also having that nice group hug effect where you're making everybody else draw a bunch of cards. Everybody but one. Which I think is... Yeah. Well, that player doesn't need this effect, so that just works out perfect. No, and that's great. This is... So, I'd say that drawing cards is one of the important things that you want to do in magic i don't know call it's me, up there call me call me crazy you're crazy but you think about some of the cards that are scary like necropotence all right mm-hmm. i'm gonna pay 15 life and get 15 cards okay cool mm-hmm. well i'm gonna pay two mana and so is everybody else like i i know that it's not an equal thing but i i like i love this as a group hug card oh yeah and i i like it a lot as just a Anything where you have triggers for people drawing cards, anything where, hey, I just want to even things out or just give people a chance to take out something that's a threat. Oh, I don't have the answer. Well, do you have it in your deck? Yeah. Okay. Well, every uh, how many cards you got? Okay. You draw four, you draw five, I'll draw three. I love those effects. Yeah. And this is this is a very cool one. Good job, Tales of the Ancestors. <laughs> Okay, so for our Judges Corner this week, we're going to talk about the new mechanics to this set. Uh, We're going to go over Boast real quickly. We talked about it a little bit before, but Boast has uh, mana ability attached to a creature and says activate this ability only if this creature attacks this turn and only once each turn. So it has to be that particular creature, and it also has to be something where you can only do it once. So extra combats, things along those lines, doesn't really make a difference only activating it once this turn on the turn that it attacked. It's real cool. I like it giving mana sinks into abilities on cards that are encouraging attacking. Hooray aggro, hooray doing cool things with different creatures. That's enough of that. I want to talk about Fortel. I love Fortel. You know what, Alex? Because this is... Is there anything that's been like this? I guess morph, kind of? Like, I... This feels very new to me, and again, I'm very bummed out because it feels like it's just going to go away in the future. Yeah, Mike, this card is quite similar to Morph in many ways, but 
from Mark Rosewater's account, who is the uh, lead designer for Magic. He says that this is a a top-down mechanic, which means that he's designed it uh, for flavor first and then made the mechanics fit to the flavor. And he says he got this from uh, the Star Wars trading card game. I don't think he got it from Star Wars Destiny because that one's too new. But uh, if there was an older version of that game, I think that's where he got it from. All right, so foretell is a new keyword ability from Kaldheim. And uh, as we said earlier, the reminder text says, foretell cost. During your turn, you may pay two and exile this card from your hand face down. Cast it on a later turn for its foretell cost. So it's kind of like a mix between morph and suspend. On your turn, you can pay two as a special action and put this card face down in exile. And then on a later turn, not the same turn, you may cast it with timing restrictions intact. So if you're foretelling a sorcery or a creature or an artifact or enchantment, you can only then cast that on your next turn. But if you foretell an instant spell, then you can then cast it on the next turn, even if it's not your turn. And and it's it's actually something I'm pretty excited about. So my whole thing was I I love the memes of foretell being a you activated my trap card just constantly kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. I don't want to play. I think any of these things face down. I think I want to foretell it. Just like oh look, it's on the wrong side. Oh look, everybody can see it because. The political value of just, oh, well, just know if you pop off with a whole lot of tokens, they're going to turn into this thing. I'm just saying, oh, just know that if you make a whole lot of creatures or something scary, I'm going to wipe the board. And yeah, I that's I think that's part of why I like I like this set so much. Like we didn't we, we were specifying on the cards that are, you know, about what we are as a podcast. But there's a couple of th- like In Search of Greatness is a cool one. Battle Mammoth, Maskwood Nexus. There's this set. How do I phrase this? The set feels ambitious in trying mm-hmm. to do something different without breaking the game and doing so. Right. And I'm I'm a big fan of that. Like I'm I'm actually. I didn't even talk about the Squirrel Legend. Like this is kind of a cool set. I'm a big fan. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of super cool cards in this set that we just are not talking about. And and we said this at the beginning, just because everyone else is talking about those cards already. Yeah. And if you want to hear about them, um, you, can go you can listen to the podcast everywhere. that we like to listen to. The Command Zone, our good friend Dana over at CMDR Central is going to do a set review, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, the EDH Rec podcast. There's a lot of different podcasts that are going to do the big set overview where they talk about all the commanders and all the fun new spells. And it may have some overlap with the cards that we talk sure. about. But the cards that we're talking about here are the cards that you and I care about specifically. The political cards. The That's what hug, this podcast the is about. Bring this to the table and just watch how watch how the game changes because, right. well, what's that do for everybody? Oh wow! I'm so I'm gonna draw three, and he's gonna draw four. Oh, well, he's not gonna draw any, uh, and she's not. She's gonna draw ten. She, oh my gosh! Wow, that's like yeah, it's it's a cool set. I'm a big fan of it. All right, Alex. I mean, just like you, I'm really excited for this set. I like what they're doing. I yeah, I, White still still continues to need some help, and I'm sure it's coming any day now, Alex. Any 
Dana. Um, but thanks for listening, everyone. Um, Alex, where can people find you on socials? Absolutely. You can catch me on Twitter at uh, Lappermedic, L-A-P-P-E-R Medic. And you can email me if you have any judge questions, although usually Twitter is going to be faster. Mm-hmm. Catch me at Alex at EDHREC.com. And if you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and rate the podcast. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can follow us on Twitter at EDH underscore social or email us at the social contract EDH at gmail.com. We'll talk to you soon. And man, it's going to be a fun set. <laughs>